Good evening, world, and welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks. My name is Kevin K. Konkonacek, and tonight we bring you the psychological horror film, It Comes at Night. But before we get into this wonderful film, or this suspenseful film, or this antagonizing film, or however else you want to describe it, we're going to go ahead and talk about what we're drinking, and I'm going to introduce my co-hosts. So tonight, in Cole's honor, I've decided to pick up a bottle of Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea Bourbon, because it's delicious and whiskey, as always, is my drink of choice, so I thought it'd be a great occasion to celebrate the man in Alaska with one of his favorites. Cole, what are you drinking tonight, buddy? Hey, it's Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. I wish I was drinking Jefferson's Ocean Aged, but I decided to break out a bottle that was a little, uh, maybe related to our film, and it's called the Quarantine Gin. It was uh, isolated in perfection, made by a, a, cor- a distillery that opened up during quarantine. It is a uh, quite good gin, mixed it with a little tonic. But up next, we got the Kiskas. Wow, what a beautiful phrase for uh, an alcohol. That's <laughs> so like enticing. <laughs> but this mm-hmm. is Kelly. Um, I am just drinking water this evening because I just feel like a little sickness is upon me, and I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, but. Um, I just don't want anyone to get kind of like feeling weird about it or feel like they need to like do anything to it. Anyways, anyways, I, anything I can get. So water is the call for me tonight. Eric, who I share a house with, uh, don't worry about anything. And also, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking Black Death Kentucky Straight Bourbon. I uh, ordered it online because this film got me really interested in the Black Plague. And uh, I will advise our listeners, there is something called the Audionic Plague, uh, and if Kelly is sick, she can pass it through your earphones and infect you. Uh, I hope that doesn't make you turn off your pot, you know, the podcast or anything, but just uh, maybe put an extra spritz of aerosol on your, oh. um, your headphones. There went all of our <laughs> listeners. Way to go. <laughs> Anyway, friends, like I mentioned in the open, tonight we are reviewing It Comes at Night, which is a horror film directed and written by Trey Edward Schultz. The film was released in 2017 and is known for its atmospheric tension, ambiguity, and its ability to create a sense of dread. Our listeners may also recognize Trey Edward Schultz from his work on one of our favorite A24 films, Cresha which was his directorial debut. We all gave it pretty rave reviews and remarks, and I think some of us were probably excited to see this film just based on the fact that he had done that previous work. The story is set in a post-apocalyptic world that has been ravaged by a mysterious and highly contagious virus. The film primarily follows a small group of survivors, led by a man named Paul, played by Joel Edgerton. They have secured a remote, boarded-up house in the woods as their shelter, Their strict rules and paranoia are meant to protect them from the outside world, as they believe that the virus is transmitted through physical contact. The tension escalates when a group encounters another family seeking refuge, and Paul decides to take them in. This decision brings a new set of challenges as the two families navigate their fears and suspicions. 
The film explores themes of trust, paranoia, and the fragility of human relationships in an extreme and isolating situation. So now that we have kind of a rundown of what this film was a little bit about, I want to start with how many of you have seen this film before? Uh, and if not, as with your first view, what were some of the initial vibes as we kind of got into the film? Eric, why don't you start us out? Uh, so I actually saw this in theaters in 2017, and I don't know, it feels like a very long time ago. I did not remember this whole film as it was, and it like I told uh, Kevin, I thought it was actually possibly a zombie film uh, from the start because the grandpa, you know, the way he was dying, he definitely looked zombie-like, but that is definitely an open-ended question that is never really answered throughout the film. Yeah, the first time I saw this, I remember it being pretty good and also very depressing, and uh, did I feel the same way this time around? You'll have to wait and uh, hear. <laughs> All right, Kelly, what were your first impressions upon uh, watching this film? This is my second watch of it. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. And were it not for our podcast project, I probably would have watched it sooner, but figured I should save it for the right order. And I really um, had a different experience watching it this time because we have more familiarity with Trey Edward Schultz and with how much I liked Cresha. Being able to kind of make that connection from our director's artistic standpoint was like a really more fulfilling experience in that regard. Also watching this movie, having been through 2020 now, um, instead of the other way around, I feel like that gave it a different sense of dread than I felt even the first time. As someone who is just like a fan of atmospheric black metal anyway, I also really like an atmospheric slow burn of a movie very similar kind of vibe in that way. So, uh, spoiler alert, I really liked this movie again on the second watch, maybe even more. Yeah, I, right, I do cool. want to say something. Oh, Eric. There was such a difference, too, to me of uh, how I, I think I felt like uh, when I saw this in theaters and now how I feel watching it after COVID. It's a weird feeling watching this after actually having been through a pandemic. Uh, I totally agree with Kelly there. It, it gave me a whole different feeling this time. What about you, Cole? Did you, uh, is this your first viewing or had you seen this movie before? So I've seen this movie once before, but it was probably like three years ago. So, man, maybe four years ago. It was before quarantine. I know that. I remember it. <laughs> but uh, I will say, like, I, I feel like I was in the camp of Eric where I thought this was more of like a monster movie where there was like zombies or something. Um, so I was definitely confused watching this and being like, I don't remember it being like this. Not that it was a bad thing. Um, I think we'll, you know, we'll kind of get into it, but, um, not, not what I remembered, but, um, yeah, I, I think I like the opening of this, uh, movie and uh, I had to look up the painting that they, um, like kind of show and stuff and it's called the triumph of the death, triumph of the death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I thought that was kind of, a. I don't know. I thought it was kind of a cool touch. Usually I'm not like a big fan of just like fading images, but uh, when it was just like that one painting that uh, obviously kind of goes with the, uh, instead of doing like an in-depth of, uh, you know, what happened, they just kind of show a painting and let you kind of imagine what occurred in the apocalypse. I um I looked up that painting and it's actually a very famous painting uh, painted in 1562 by Peter Bruegel the Elder. 
And uh, this is from fabulousmasterpieces-blog.co.uk. The Dance of Death refers to the involuntary actions of the victims of plague, the primary message being that death strikes everyone without exception. Humanity, uh, well, no, this is my own um, take on it. Humanity devolving into tribalism. Uh, But uh, just like how when there is mass death, like we also experienced during COVID, it affects everyone. And without question, even if we aren't, you know, like we don't know anybody that died or uh, like we aren't dying ourselves, it still affects all of us. Yeah, and I think it was um, recorded that that printing and that painting itself was a big influence on Trey Edward Schultz as he was kind of writing this and kind of just going through this process. So it's not a surprise to me that that it was focused uh, and featured so primarily, especially in the opens there. So for me, this is my first viewing. Um, I had gone into it only knowing kind of what you guys were um, hyping me up for a little bit, just kind of being like, this is coming up. This was a big movie. This was something that, um, you know, you guys had probably enjoyed on your first watch through. Uh, so I encouraged Maddie um, to watch it with me. We uh, watched the trailer together, uh, and I got very excited. I thought that the trailer was terrifying. I thought that I was in for a absolute uh, uh, terrifying experience, banger, especially for somebody who doesn't really enjoy horror. Um, I sat down and was like, all right, I'm ready to be scared. But we will go into how those expectations kind of were fulfilled or not fulfilled as we progress through this film. Uh, but that was kind of my take going into this, having no real background on the film itself. But often at times, this film is described as a psychological horror. So what elements or themes do you think contribute to the psychological aspect of this? And how effective do you think the film was in building the absolute tension and fear uh, as we progress through the scenes? Kelly? I mean, there's so much going on here, and I wish that I had notes to like really dig it like down accurately, but I'm just going to go off of the the dome here. But immediately what I think is like, just obviously the themes of isolation, not really knowing what's going on um, as far as in society, like that's clearly cut off from them in a lot of regards. I think there's a lot of aspects of grieving of really close experienced death to somebody who's lived with you and your family and everything. Um, And then on top of that, being in a family that's not really discussing it and being in survival mode and not being able to process these kind of things, all of this I think is very like dreadful. There's no resolution, there's no processing. And on top of that, you've got everyone in the family because they're in this kind of survival mode are behaving in ways that you probably have never seen before. And that's going to rock your world as well. On top of that, our character, who I think is, I would consider him our main character, not that we follow him the whole time, um, Trevor, is 17, which is like a really difficult age, no matter what the heck is going on. So he's just like completely by himself. Then on top of grief of family members, the loss of pets, like it just goes on and on and on. And that's separate from the fact that there's a terrifying disease that you're afraid of catching at any moment or anyone that you're sharing what little time you have together possibly left and surviving 
are afraid that it might happen to them. Tons going on, and I don't even think I've gotten to half of it, but these are the themes that I think I pick up on the most, um, just on even these first couple watches. But something that I'm going to say too is there's a lot of things that I feel like continue to be picked up even on my second watch. There's so much that's open-ended and so much to interpret from even just those themes and all the ones that I've not named. So I just, there's just so much depth and so much dread there and so much just like, oh, it's just like really, really beautiful. Oh, on top of that, it's also extremely dark. Yeah. (laughs) I understand. Lots of ways. (laughs) Asking a question about themes is that my opening is a bit open-ended, but I also think that like you explained, this movie has a lot going on with it. And there's no way to really pinpoint it one way or another, especially because this is an A24 film, as we've kind of discussed in the past. That means we have certain expectations with it when it comes to a thematic place. We expect this theme to be deeper, darker, have more behind it. And I certainly feel like this film probably has that, uh, especially on a more digestive level when you've thought about it. Uh, Cole, when you were going through this, what kind of themes outside of kind of what things Kelly touched on, did you really pull away uh, from a kind of a, a whole viewing of this film? Um, I think this film is uh, a very unique perspective on the like apocalypse or post-apocalyptic type films where I feel like this is probably one of the most grounded and realistic films taken as just like a, a snapshot of a group of survivors who are who are a family trying to survive after some tr- something happened that they don't even fully understand what kind of disease occurred that basically has knocked out civilization. Um, so I think uh, that was, um, I guess, kind of an interesting take because there's not, I mean, it's high stakes, like obviously people's lives are on the line, but it's not trying to find the cure to the disease or you know people banding together because they're trying to travel across the country to california it's just people trying to survive and dealing with the idea of an outsider this other family and slowly integrating them into their kind of system that has been working for them and they're very you know that the main family is very structured is trying to bring that dynamic in i think was very interesting I don't know. I thought it was, uh, it's just a different take. It's, it's very unique in that sense. Eric, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so again, the first time I watched this, I, I feel like I was so focused on, okay, what's out there in the woods? Uh, are there zombies that are going to come to the house at any point of the night? There's so much focus on that red door, those long shots of the hallway and, uh, Travis, you know, just like carrying the, the light, uh, through the hallways and everything. And just so much, anxiety and tension built up that I didn't really notice uh, what might have actually been the cause of this plague. And I'm going to credit Found Flicks, which is a YouTube channel. They had a water purifier system in the house. They had to purify that water uh, every time they drank it. And Will initially came to them because he ran out of water supplies. And so did, uh, well, his quote unquote brother, or probably not his brother, but somebody else, like wherever else he was, they ran out of water, and I think it's actually, if you really read into it, uh, the plague was probably like uh, carried through water and the water supply to the public, and that's how it killed so many pe- uh, people initially. And so the face-to-face contact with people 
uh, or that would be called like a pneumonic plague, might not have actually been as much of a cause as uh, things that were in the water. And Trey Edward Schultz does such a good job at creating this paranoia of other people and what's out there that we kind of just look right past like, oh, wow, there's they have a water purifier system here. Will could like kept on running out of water. He did an amazing job of being like, what's going on over here? Little magic trick. It's actually possibly the water that is like the most infectious thing and dangerous thing. Right. And to be fair, the ambiguity that surrounds the rest of the circumstances, it could be the water or it could be any number of things. And I think that's what he also leaves you to believe that it could be in the air. That's why you have a mask, right? Or it could be through physical touch. Uh, it's why you can't pick up certain people or contact individuals. They they probably don't have any idea, especially when they talk about the grandfather turning so quickly. They're being prepared, and that's probably a lot of what the preparedness uh, when it comes to like the burning of the water or the boiling of the water. I do love the attention to detail, and I think even in post-interviews, Trey Edward Schultz was kind of open-ended about what was in the woods or what was part of the disease. He doesn't want to give that answer to to the viewers. And for what that's worth, better or for worse, it kind of lets you digest this movie a lot more uh, one way or another. Uh, and I think that's obviously critically important. Cole, I think, mentioned something about the characters and kind of how it was interesting to see them, how they came across in this post-apocalyptic scenarios. But how do you think the film kind of explored some of the psychological and emotional tolls on those particular characters and how they kind of broke down each of them a little bit with their own interactions. Um, so from a character building standpoint, Kelly, what did you think of the performances and kind of the world building that we had around our main characters? Performances? Everybody killed it. I'll just say it right now. There's nothing I would change about how anyone performed their characters. And as far as development goes too, I love our hints at like how they might've been before when Specific to that scene is when Paul and Will decide to like share a drink together. And they kind of talk about what did you do? And he's like, what do you mean? Like I wore my job. And then they explain what their jobs were. It really puts into perspective how little that matters to how you are as a person and your personality. And when push comes to shove, what your actual strengths and weaknesses are going to be. Because Paul being a history teacher is not expected from me. And it really like... It's like when people aren't in that kind of like do or die scenario, kill or be killed, paranoia strikes in, lots of things just change a person. And I just feel like Paul to us is shown as such a really like really strong character in a lot of regards and just he's just wants he's just going to protect his family and he doesn't care if he's going to tie up a man to a tree because he broke into his house and he has all of these ways that he is thinking on his feet to protect his family and also try not to just kill this person just because he's all of this thinking on his feet right there. You would have thought that he's been a woodsman his entire life or something. (laughs) So that kind of development, because it just hints like without showing me anything and without even telling me it, I can see how he's been changed by what's happened. Same thing with Sarah with her softness to her father, to her son, with what happens to them, and then her ability to grab a gun when it's time to go, her ability to snap up from bed when uh, Trevor hints that the other couples are 
or the other family may be the one who brought something into the house. She snaps up. She's like, you've never seen people when they get desperate. We need to get into action. Like all of this kind of stuff kind of shocks Trevor. Like, whoa, like I even feel like I read into Trevor, like he regrets telling them that because of how his parents are going to respond. So it makes me wonder what was his life like before this? How much of a life did he have before this? And the way that he sleeps, walks sleep walks throughout the night i think just because of the amount of isolation that he has and there's no interaction with peers anything like that i could just go on and on but all those characters and that's just the core family i won't touch on everybody because then i'll just be on a soapbox forever but it's just like really naturally like uh script writing between how they all speak to each other and the performance of how it's delivered i just feel the amount of seriousness that's of like the gravity of the situation and the only other part i'm going to touch on is that montage of lightness and hope when the other family joins in for just a moment there's just like they're playing board games there's more light in the house they're helping each other with chores that is so uplifting for just a little while and then we're back to the dread again but that's just another character play and it's just chef kisses all around uh, also, Christopher Abbott, uh, the guy who plays Will, um, he was the truck thief in A Most Violent Year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, how about that? But, Eric, same question to you. What did you think about our characters? What did you think about some of the, the tension and world building that we had around them and some of the ways that our director and writing team kind of uh, brought them to the forefront and the interactions that they all had? They were fantastic. Um I like when films can create uh, depth of character and how actors uh, can actually kind of create a whole backstory for a character without anybody actually saying uh, what their backstory is. I feel like Mahershala Ali did this, you know, in Moonlight, where you can kind of tell where this person came from without them actually saying it. And I can kind of feel that with uh, definitely when Paul... um, he says like he was a history teacher and everything, it, but like you can feel uh, what's happened to them in the last hundred uh, days or or so where where they like completely have forgotten what uh, where they were and what they did kind of before this whole pandemic happened and they like they they feel like it's been through they've been through so much trauma that it's almost like laughable to think like hey I was a high school history teacher like uh yeah how useful is that now and they all have this like sense of trauma and immediate immediate paranoia about them uh and that's where i think trey edward schultz did a good thing of not creating too much backstory and and just throwing us in this situation kind of like how cole likes in the thing you know it's i i definitely feel some thing inspirations here uh where we're thrown into this situation we don't get too much backstory but then we let the characters act and uh, the actors act and they create their own backstory for themselves. I feel, I feel like you just feel the trauma come off of them with their acting. And uh, they, they did fantastic jobs in this for sure. All right, cool. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you the same exact question. What do we think about performances? What do you think about the characters and uh, just kind of the way that they interacted with each other and the way it made the film better or worse? Yeah, I mean, everyone did a fantastic job. I mean, this whole the whole point of this movie, or I mean, there's not the whole point, but the 
the meat and potatoes of this movie is the interactions between the characters, right? Like, again, like we alluded to, there is no monsters, there's no zombies, there's there's nothing that comes at night, like nothing physical, right? So all this tension and the the um, thrill or like the kind of the, the, I guess it's a thriller, all comes from the interactions and the un, unsettledness that you get when, um, you know, the, the families first meet or, you know, when Paul first meets Will and then they go and get his family. And it, it's one of those things where I think it did a really good job, again, of portraying what I feel like would be a very realistic scenario. The apocalypse where it's just everything is very quiet. It's mundane. It's boring. And then in a flash, it becomes a fight of life and death. Right. Like he he, he gets he takes Paul and Will take go to get Will's family. Right. And they're just driving. Paul hasn't seen anyone. Will tells him he hasn't seen anyone in, you know, who knows how long. And then as they're driving, all of a sudden, you know, they run into two people that are immediately trying to kill them. And also, I think they do a good job of a realistic portrayal of that where it ends very quickly as well. I mean, those gunfights usually aren't. Like uh, what? What was that last <laughs> film we just watched? The slow um, exception, or, or, not the exception, no, 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 the gun one, firefight, right? Firefight, yeah. Free fire, free, free fire. fire, free fire. You were going yeah, with Slow not... West because it was such a great <laughs> yeah, movie, and you West. wanted to, oh, you know, God, remember it for forever. That. That's exactly what it was. But yeah, like it's not. It's not going to be fifty-five minutes long of shooting. It's going to be like two minutes tops, and you know, yeah, some, something happens. You know, someone wins or someone loses, but. I felt like the interactions between everyone was very, very real and very good. And, um, you know, Will and Paul are both the, um, you know, both there to, uh, they're all there to protect their family first, right? Like they want to take care of their family first, but they also want to not live in isolation and not be complete monsters and just cast people aside. So humans are naturally social. So you want to be in a community, right? So it's interesting. Cole, I love that you said post-apocalypse, like, realism is that day-to-day it will be extremely mundane, and then it won't Mm -hmm. in a flash. And it's like, yes, that's exactly it. Well said. Mm -hmm. Right. And the idea that you have to have community as as a way to get through that mundane is is absolutely 100% true as well. So you can see why Paul made that decision. Sure, there was chickens and goats involved. Obviously, you want those things when you survive the apocalypse, but... I feel like there's probably some human element to that as well. So for my part in answering my own question here, I feel like the characters did such a great job of making this feel real. Like I was watching some sort of fly-on-the-wall scenario where if and when something like COVID or another pandemic or something related or even a zombie apocalypse, I mean, we can see all those realism things happening. I just called zombie apocalypse realistic. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> you sure it's, it's gonna happen. <laughs> anyway, uh, my point is, is that the writing and the direction of these characters was such uh, was so great that it made you feel like it was real, that it could happen, and this is the way that a family would interact with each other, given the circumstances. Um, having to invite someone new, trying to trust new people, trying to invite someone into the social circles, trusting a child, not trusting a child, like all of these little things that couldn't have been possible without great performances from our, from our cast and characters. Um, I really thought that Riley Keogh as Kim, uh, Will's wife was a really great performance. I think she did such a great job of being empathetic when she needed to be, to be serious when she needed to be, to be, to be a lover, to, to be a scream queen. I mean, that scene at the end, I mean, we'll get into it, but 
absolutely freaking chilling. Um, she did a great job. Joel Edgerton as, as being our main lead was also pretty incredible and they all played off each other pretty well. So I was, I was very impressed with the character aspect of this film. There was like Kelly let off with like, there was no faults from, from any performances in this movie. There were, there were no faults at all. So I will, uh, agree to that completely, but I want to move on and talk a little bit about the direction of the cinematography. Um, they clearly played a critical role in this film and Trey Edwards Saltz, um, had a vision, right? He clearly had something in mind that he wanted to accomplish when when directing and writing this film. So how do you think the visuals and the cinematography contributed to the sense of dread and unease? And what were some of the shots or some of the scenes that really stood out to you as kind of uh, something that was 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 a brilliant uh, aspect or brilliant attempt by our director? Eric? Uh, I definitely think he had horror film directing in this where like I was saying in our previous horror films, like he created anxiousness with the camera. And I think I, I already mentioned the long shots of the hallway of Travis walking through the hallway, the shots of the red door, there's shots of people's eyes, like close up on their eyes and them just having, you can see the paranoia right in their pupils. That is really cool. And then I wanted to focus on the scene in the woods uh, where the dog starts barking out of nowhere and just that like frantic camera movement uh, following Travis uh, through the woods. And I actually uh, went, uh, saw a YouTube video where they did a frame by frame of that uh, scene in the woods. And there was actually someone lurking around in the background there. I'm not sure if Trey Edward Schultz wanted people to notice that or if he needed somebody to get the dog to bark. In terms of the film, I guess we're going to have to believe there, if you see a frame by frame, there was actually somebody just in the background there lurking around. Will did just like kill two people within 10 miles of his own house, so there were probably others around. But yeah, that scene creating that paranoia running through the woods with the frantic camera, it, you know, it made you think a lot to the point where I had to go back and look at a frame by frame of it. And it answered a couple questions for me, I think. All right. I think this is a great time to talk about the it and it comes at night and the idea of perception of building up an idea in your head, maybe before you see a film or all of these things. And I'll say it from my perspective, because this is my first time seeing it. I think the title it comes at night, honestly does this movie a bit of a disservice after coming out the other side. And I say that mostly because from my experience, and this is a good time to talk about it is after watching the trailer. And like I said, in my, in my lead, I was incredibly excited to see this film based on the advertising, the posters, the way that the film set up it to be. And for it to come across in a completely different narrative for me and to almost come across as flat was a little disappointing, mostly because of the way that it kind of set this up as a creature feature or as a monster movie or as a there's going to be a definitive it. The trailer has the dog, you know, barking at something into the woods. The door clearly has set up to be something to become through it, whatever it may be. And maybe that's just my interpretation of it. But I don't know if that's intentional by our director, if it was something that A24 wanted to do to put butts in the seats, or if it was just something that I took away from it. Did anyone else feel that maybe way on their first watch? Is this something that's different because you guys have seen it now twice? 
Uh, I know I'm not the only one who's felt this way as far as the way the trailer promised a movie versus the way that the movie came across. Uh, and I know, like, Maddie, for example, had the same experience where she was left wondering, well, where's the scary part or what's coming next or where is the thing that I'm supposed to be worried about? Where is it? And it didn't come. And maybe uh, on the next watch, I'll appreciate it the second time through. But this is just something I was feeling. Cole, what do you think? A couple things. Uh I, I felt the same way the first time I watched it as you did with the I'm a, I'm a big creature feature guy so I was all pumped up for feature you know creature feature uh very you know if you go into it with that kind of mindset it's kind of disappointing in a sense I did read uh, about the title Trey Edward Schultz uh, was asked about it and he basically said that he came up with the title when he was starting to write the script for this film and it was before he had a character's plot anything pretty much and he just had a title and he just stuck with it so i don't know if maybe he just i mean it's a cool title but it doesn't really it doesn't feel like it fits it but at the same token when you watch it again or even the first time that anticipation of something that comes at night you know this unknowing puts you in the shoes of the survivors and the fact that they don't know what really is happening, what's out there, their dog's barking at something. I really loved the scene with the dog barking where, like Eric was talking about, where it's just like 30 seconds of just staring into the woods where you're just frantically looking to see, to see if there's anything and like trying to find something uh, and there's, you know, r- really nothing. And um, I think that kind of plays into what he was trying to do where it's almost like he deceived the viewers to build that tension through even the title and the marketing. Uh, Was that done on purpose? I I don't know. But I think, uh, you know, looking back at it and watching a second time, I definitely appreciate it more than uh, I did the first time. All right, Eric, do you see where I'm coming from? What what are your thoughts? Um, I, I definitely don't think I was scared by this film this time, but I think the it that comes at night is fear and paranoia. Uh, I mean, we all get a little more afraid at night. We're afraid of the unknown, and that is the big part of this film is, like, it's just all generally unknown out there. This film as a whole is kind of a comment on how if you introduce a little fear and paranoia, we all all humans tend to turn into their Darwinistic selves, their tribalist selves, to the point where, you know, in 2020, uh, we bought up a bunch of toilet paper so no one else could have toilet paper. We mass hoarded <laughs> toilet paper and look uh, where that got us. Um, but yeah, like we, I think this film is about how we start to think way more selfishly and our Darwin Darwinistic sides come out when fear and paranoia uh, get introduced into our lives. And so the it is that is just fear and paranoia comes at night. And um, I I get, you know, like being a little disappointed by there never being an actual creature. But I do think like, uh, like, as I was saying that there was uh, some people in the woods, and there were people out there that were probably trying to uh, get to their water supply somehow. And I think, uh, you know, spoiler that there were actually there was somebody who killed the dog too. Um, and laid him on the porch. So I think there were things coming at night. They just were people. And maybe that's my complaint. Maybe I want more of an explanation, and I don't know if that's just wanting spoon-fedness, and probably on the second viewing, I'll fill in the blanks more myself. But 
it just didn't feel like we had a third act. It just felt like we kind of ran through it. And again, it could, like I said, it's got to be something to where I can probably digest it on the second viewing. I'll appreciate it more through. But it was just so like, wait, what happened? Where are we going? And how do we get here? And and again, it, again, it just might be me. Kelly, anything you want to throw in on, on this discussion? Yeah, I totally think that the title of the movie is like the biggest criticism that I think people have against it. Um, I do think it is kind of necessary for your first viewing to share that anxiety of what it is that's going to come at night. I definitely remember on my first view realizing like, oh, nightmares come at night. Like that's that's what it was for me. Because to take it back to the cinematography question even before this was something that really stands out other than the horror shots, other than the long shots and like also the kind of like warped like wall to wall shots that were really memorable to me as well was the different aspect ratio when Trevor is sleepwalking, dreaming, don't know for sure, foreshadowing, showing us the past, telling us um, what happened or is going like these kind of like dreamscapes that become less dreamy, more rooted in reality as the movie goes on. And that's portrayed by the aspect ratio kind of changing as well. So that on my view was like that, that's what kind of comes at night. And then I was, I was up on the reddits um, the other night (laughs) and I wanted to kind of see what were people talking about about this movie because I had my own kind of theories and as probably a lot of people do if if other people have echoed them on the internet then there's probably some truth behind them and here's the one that I thought was the most interesting was someone shout out random redditor says that the thing that comes at night are the first symptoms of this plague that the first symptoms are sleepwalking and nightmares and that's what both Austin, that's the kid's name, right? Travis. The five-year-old. No, Andrew. The little little one. Andrew. 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 That's both what um, Andrew does, and it's also what Trevor does. And their theory is that Trevor was infected for the entire course. Travis. 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 (laughs) Travis. Making up names. Okay, so Travis, their theory, was infected for the entire run of the movie. From Grandpa. Um, Yeah, from Grandpa. So, because it's just a... I mean, Paul just had, or, okay, now I got Paul right and doubted myself. <laughs> Paul just has an idea that these symptoms and these boils and the black eyes happened within 24 hours. But, you know, the symptoms of this disease and the paranoia that it strikes and the fear of even telling people that it's happening to you is all happening in the evenings at night. And I really, mm. really like that theory. Eric, you had mentioned earlier in the podcast that you thought this was about 100 days after initial impact. Was that just a theory, or did you have some evidence to support that? That's just a theory. Um, and, th- yeah, like, I, I, I just kind of threw out a number there, actually. But Well, no, it's like, fair, and I want to talk yeah. about it, because like, I was curious, too. I yeah. was like, hmm, what could it have been? Because they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? They would probably be the most isolated type of family, someone who would be away from the most. Yeah. And, and what does he ask him? Do you, like, do you know what's going on out there at but, one point? Yeah, they didn't right? know exactly what happened. I, obviously, Trey yeah. Schultz did that on purpose. Um, and, you know, like the 
skeptic in me or person that like wants to try to like pick apart a film i i thought like okay well how long would it take for the powers like electricity to go down across the globe uh why would there be no internet um people like hey like there's this fucking weird thing you know turning people into zombie looking like things and uh there's like a uh, buboes it's basically the bubonic plague but even more fa- uh fatal uh, why why wouldn't this be communicated Bubos. to anybody before the whole internet and uh, you know all the electricity w- ran out? Why why not? But I don't think uh, Trevor Schultz wanted us to uh, think about. I think he wanted us to be put in a place to ponder what happens to humans when they face this kind of uh, like mysterious thing. You know, that's fair. The opening scene we get this crazy scene where we've got these folks in gas masks explaining to a loved one that it's okay to let go before he gets shot in the head and smothered and thrown into a pit to be burned. That's the first thing that we see. It really sets up this entire bleak attitude of what in the world have we gotten ourselves into. And I don't think our characters had any idea either. Uh, And I really think that's what makes the ending, which I kind of want to talk about right now, the third act, uh, so poignant is kind of that realism of what could happen when paranoia strikes in cool what do you got just a, a quick uh cole soap got soapbox oh, situation. i love these please um when he shoots the grandpa in the head uh he uses like the pillow to like silence the thing yeah. but he's using a revolver and you can't silence a revolver because they're not a sealed right cylinder the, yeah just so um pretty poor planning on his part also if you're burning bodies at dusk pretty good chance people are going to see it all right you do it during the day that was so the light that was doesn't noted, go though, out that somebody come on uh, probably or the wife asks uh him like oh if she saw the smoke or yeah, whatever the smoke, yeah. well, like, will shows up the next from scene the yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. and i think I that know. will was part of the group that they end up finding and killing on the way back the way he lies about who he came from and the way he's punching awesome. that guy and mm-hmm. complains that he shouldn't have shot him i think he was a personal thing i think he knew the guys and he was you know whether he was bringing uh paul back to get jumped by those folks is you know here or there i honestly think he probably was probably knew they were waiting in the woods and hoped that they would jump him and shoot him and take his truck and all that jazz i mean because he 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 is a, he's an own liar right wasn't that part of the whole idea is that you he can't said he had a brother but he actually gain trust yeah. maybe that was part of the realism yeah. it's just like his brother but i guess the question then becomes isn't it part of the believability like people lie so how do you believe individuals especially in a life and death scenario where your family's on the line you have to like there was a lot of scenes that were established on getting trust out of this individual. Eric, you referenced it earlier. Like he went to the extreme of tying up this dude in the middle of the woods for forty-eight hours or whatever it was, putting a hood on his, you know, basically torturing him just to protect his family. I don't think he probably would have done that before the end of the world, but the apocalypse brings out some crazy shit in you, and you're willing to do whatever, including which we'll talk about right now, killing a wife and child. This movie was real as fuck. To be honest with you, like it was something that I could actually be like, yep, this is what would happen if you were in the middle of Oregon and all of a sudden the entire freaking, you know, civilized world goes to hell and you're left wondering what the hell you're going to do about it. You got some guns, you got some water, you probably have some food. 100 days seems realistic with Canada and stuff. So my point is, is that Treadwood Salts did a great job of making me believe that this could happen. 
regardless of how I felt about the ending and all of the other stuff with it, I really did feel the realism of this film shine through from start to finish. Kelly, what do you think? Yes, and everything that we just named with like, if you guys are all of the belief that Will is a liar for sure, what if what if he isn't? And what if all the kind of stuff just did happen? And what if our characters were just paranoid? And also, what if Travis was sick the whole time and the other family wasn't and they really did die for nothing? Or they made the kids sick and they're the reason everyone's sick. Like, those kind of questions are never shown to us, like, what the actual truth is. We'll never actually know. And that's, I think, what I like about this movie so much is... I can see it from like all these kind of different perspectives and it's like real life. You're never really going to know, especially in these like killer be killed scenarios. And oh my gosh, when I think about the mom crying about her baby, oh, it just breaks my heart. And then you kind of, I get why the movie then wraps up the way that it does right after that. Cause it's like, I don't that was, know. That I don't was know. the magazine sales boss from American Honey, by the way, Riley Keough. Yes. Oh, another, no shit. I thought I recognized that name. I was like, why do I know that name? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Cole, what do you think? Uh, I was just going to say, from personal experience, sometimes in stressful situations, people say small white lies that they think are insignificant, and then, uh, you know, they come back to bite them, and they yeah. may, you know, question whether or not they're a bad person. Yeah. So I like that idea. I honestly do like that idea. Like, what if Paul was truly just covering the eyes of Andrew to prevent him from seeing any violence instead of preventing Paul from seeing that Andrew was infected? Now, my only counter to that is Andrew was sleepwalking and ended up in Grandpa's room, and the mom attested to him never having slept up before. And we know that sleepwalking is part of the symptoms if, uh, what's his face is doing it that's my only argument but either way the ambiguity a- ambiguity ambiguity thank you. ambiguity um and the idea that there's so much left unanswered is a really big part of this film and it absolutely was intentional there's no one can tell me otherwise that he left oh, this film completely being like yeah i didn't explain everything deal with it that's why i wrote it and that's why it's an A24 movie, and that's why it's different, and why you all three like it more than I do on your second watch. At least I'm assuming that's the way this conversation is going. Um, and that probably makes for a pretty entertaining film. Someone described it as, I don't think about shitty films, but I thought about this one. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Like, crappy yeah. movies we don't really give too much time to. We don't really think about it. But this one, regardless of how my personal feeling was at the end of it versus what you guys feel and i'm sure we're kind of getting to that point now it makes it worth something and worth the conversation eric what do you think um yeah i just wanted to like spout my theory about uh because kelly kind of spouted her theory right it's theory time let's it's time for theories i think the the plague was passed through water like i initially said and i think the fire of lighting um grandpa on fire that you know got will towards them uh, and I don't think Will was in cahoots with anybody like within 10 miles, but he definitely went out there and shot two people. And I think those two people probably had other people around them that initially brought, uh, brought other people like to attention of that house and that camp. And, um, I think the dog saw somebody in the woods, ran after them, then was killed later, placed at the doorstep here. Um, and I think they kind of knew that this would make everybody devolve, 
uh, into uh, chaos, basically. And it would turn this house into madness. And then those people would be able to get to a safe, uh, a safe uh, spout of water, you know, like uh, good, like, you know, supply of water. Yeah. Again, the line where Will said, like, we had no supply to water. I think that was such a huge line in the film. And I think Trey Edward Schultz kind of does tell us uh, what caused this. And maybe there is no real zombies out there. I think he does tell us, but he doesn't. He wants to uh, put a lot of mirages out there for people to uh, get paranoid about, because that's how these people are feeling in this film. That's mm. what I think. Do we think that the dog possibly could have been infected from Grandpa being the most close relative or delict thing? Not, or, not Grandpa, or but he could have been drinking river water. Drinking and, river water, yeah. exactly, when he escaped and ran and drank the water. So I'm not yeah. disagreeing with you. It's definitely a very good theory. Yeah. Uh Something has to cause the cause it. Um, at the end, though, I do find that last scene. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, um, and we'll go into it here a little bit more. Uh, our final scene has such a climactic, quick act three. It's almost like the movie decided that it was going to just finish up in the last five minutes as quickly as possible to kind of make you feel totally abrupt. Um, we get a lot of death. We get a lot of of, of anxiety um i really liked the parallel scenes between the opening scene where we have sarah in a full gas mask explaining to her father that it's okay to let go and the final scene is her explaining to her son the same thing except she doesn't have a mask on anymore she's accepted that this is her fate that the disease is going to take her and she doesn't care it's more about helping someone that she loves and that's what she was doing the first time around, but now the circumstances have changed. And I really like that attention to detail. I think that that bookend is just a beautiful attention to detail, to cinematography, and to just all of the things that we were talking about. And it's so crazy to me. We talk about this all the fucking time, how our opinions of movies change during this podcast. I don't know about you guys, but we talk about certain things and I feel your guys' opinions and all of a sudden mine change. I'm like, oh yeah, I did appreciate that. No, I didn't. Like, <laughs> I was fully prepared to completely lambast this film for lying to me, uh, <laughs> uh, giving to me a, a perception of what I was expecting and for it not to deliver. And I've touched on it. Yeah, I was a little disappointed and the ending left me confused, but I want to watch it again. I like want to turn it on right now and just be like, oh, let's watch it again and see what that perspective is. I don't know what that means about this movie. Maybe it's a good Made thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Made you uh, think. <laughs> Kelly, did it make you feel? Oh, did it make me feel? <laughs> no, no, we'll save that. We'll save that. We'll save that. <laughs> I do want to touch on a couple of things before we finish up. Eric, let's talk about music. This movie had a really cool score, right? It had a lot of just ambient noises, a lot of strings, a lot of ramping up in certain parts, dark tones during the dark scenes, uplifting ones during other parts, some cool drum things. What were the things you noticed when uh, listening to the soundtrack uh, while accompanying this film? Uh, it it was a wonderful like horror film soundtrack, and I guess the people that did it, Brian McComer and Jordan Dykstra, the strings, the kind of more ambient noises, like all of that stuff, it, it almost feels very primal, uh, which I think is what this film is trying to create, a very primal setting. And it, it gives like a horror soundtrack where, yeah, like the right when it uh, needs you to think about is there zombies in the woods, it 
perks up those strings. It makes you it makes you get paranoid with everybody in the house. And yeah, it held your hand uh, along the whole way uh, with how you should be feeling, how the director wants you to feel uh, while these things are happening. Again, I didn't find this film like super scary on this watch, but like the vibes, the horror vibes were all there for sure. Yeah, so for me, they had a couple good jump scares that were accompanied by good music moments for me, especially in the first jump uh, or the first watch. Or the first watch, um, I took notes specifically because I always do about you know how the strings played a certain part in the stress or in creating the tension. Um, I already alluded to it. Uh, you actually talked about it that montage, the uh, one where they're all kind of getting together um, and building things and opening the house up and all of that. Um, the music that accompanied that scene was was very uplifting and had a, a very different tone to it. Um, and you love that, right, from a direction standpoint and just making sure that you have an attention to it. Far too often, I feel like it's ignored, that it's not an important part of, of it. And there's a reason we talk about it with every single film, uh, because it really is absolutely critical, especially when you're establishing an entire world where fear is your number one thing. Um, so we'll go with that. Cool. I have uh, one question to everybody that I, it kind of, I wouldn't, it doesn't ruin the film for me, but again, it's one of those things that I don't quite understand. And I'm trying, I, I don't know if maybe it's a, uh, an artistic choice or what, but so throughout this movie where the Paul has a, he's like the, you know, the, the man, big man on campus, right? He's running the household. They have a set of rules for everything and they have one set of keys for the door that he has or his wife has and there's two doors that are locked and the night that uh travis finds the doors apparently opened and unlocked by little baby andrew but he doesn't have the key so even if he could reach the locks the fuck the kid picked the locks and they weren't broken in, so it wasn't like someone kicked in the door I, it, from the outside. It could, like, it could be somehow broken in. I don't know how. I think. But like, yeah. I would you believe if Travis would have somehow have the key? Would you believe in that scenario? If Travis had access to the key, which, I mean, it's because on the, his parents' neck, so I don't know how he would get I it. I saw but if one he had theory. To it, one theory, quick I, one. I would say that he would be the one exactly. that unlocked it during, like, a, you know, a, walking. a And he fever, was the one who brought in dream, the dog. Right? Because he was trying to rescue it. And then, you know, if you're having these, like, night terrors or these dreams, you know. That How did Will break Paul in? himself, I mean, too. Will broke in, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, the crowbar, with, though. Yeah, with Will kicked it in. Wow. I think he just kicked it in. Yeah. Because if he popped the, the whatever. Was, was the Paul's bolt. knee injury pre Will, or did Will shoot him when he walked in the door? I wasn't it was pre-Will. No. Yeah, Paul got his film. leg injury from uh, the film that uh, precedes this uh, called The Warrior, where he's also a teacher, but happens to enter <laughs> into the octagon dude, of UFC fighting against Maddie, Tom Hardy. My wife goes, hey, yeah, I know that's that That's where he guy. lost his fucking knee. Okay. Dude, he's also she's in The like, Great Gatsby, which is one of Kelly's favorite films. She's like, I know that guy. Yeah. I knew he was going to be a teacher because he was a teacher in The Fighter. And I was like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah. Uh, it's The Warrior. The Warrior. The warrior. warrior. She's like, yeah, yeah I, said, I knew he was going to be a teacher. That was lazy. I was like, holy shit, he played a teacher just like the last yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. I said, Eric, that's Tom Buchanan right there. Yeah. And he's also in the Green Knight future A24 mm -hmm. film as well. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. The, oh, the way man. the door got open is a mystery to me. Um, 
I do feel like there were people that were kind of stalking them and trying to figure out a way in because they knew there. I think they somehow knew there might have been a water supply in there. Kelly, what, what do you think? I think that's a hint just as much as you bringing up the water supply. I feel like we're told even more in our face when he's like at the table having the talk. This is always around my neck. If it's not on mine, it's with Sarah. It's one of us always has it. So to me, I feel like that's the big hint that one of them opened the door and doesn't remember doing it, which means oh, they were wandering okay. around at night. That's very but interesting, too. Why, exactly. why would a dog, the dead dog, just be placed there, um, you know, like, as the store is unlocked? Like, how did... So uh, there was another theory. Sure. Hold on. Yeah. Another Kill theory them. was another symptom was paranoia, because there was a lot of that idea that you you things were in your mind that you weren't really sure of, that you were hallucinating things. And the dog, if the dog was infected, could have also, why he was barking at nothing into the woods, could have jumped out a window or hurt himself or done something related to the paranoia. That was one theory I saw about why he was hurt. But The weapon that like looked to stab the dog is right by it, too. So it's like... Did the dog come in? Was it sick? Did someone put it out of its misery and like not want to confess to oh. it? Or do they not remember it? Or why is there? I it just looked feel like, like it was some... stabbed, right? That's why. Yeah, I it was just a cut open belly, if I remember the. Yeah, yeah with the weapon right. left behind. So I either Eric, I think I like your idea that there's people that want to take over that house and they're just like, let's just make them go crazy. Yeah, and then we'll scoop right in. That's a great idea. And then also I think the idea that. The, the calls coming from inside the house. That's the yeah. other theory. Yeah. Somebody somebody killed that dog God, when it it's, came there's home. There's just so many theories and things that you could think about this film, and I think that's what makes it probably great. God, it's so weird to think about that when I came into this just being like... I, I will <laughs> agree, though, okay, and this is why I, I won't give the... Like, uh, I'm not going to say um, the exact grade I'm going to give it, but I'm not going to give it an A plus 24. Um, I, I think that the ending, just everybody dying... It's so depressing, and so depressing. to be honest, if a plague or this deadly of a pandemic happened, everybody would die. Uh, the like the bubonic plague, um, one in three people died. It there there would be this much death around, and it, that's what makes it realistic. It's a realistic portrayal of when these plagues take hold, and they kind of need to die if you want you want to keep with the theme of realism. I think. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, would you call this magical realism too? I that's I think uh, magical ma magical I realism. Well, I guess the dream sequences are a little mag magical uh, real. I so think magical realism is fever it's dream. always yeah. um is uh what's it called based in real realistic things are actually happening the whole time, but the magical part of the realism is only in people's heads. So uh, oh. that. I, yeah. I think it, yeah, yeah. I would say better. so. Yes, yeah. I would. I would say the 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 fever dreams, the fever dreams, the paranoia, fever dreams. and all yeah. that jizz. Yeah, that's that's all magicalish. That jizz. jizz, all that jizz, <laughs> all that jazz. It's a, yeah. jazz. It's a great uh, genre of music from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say about everybody. Um, that is actually correct, Cole. But also, I was gonna say about everyone dying at the end too. I think that there's this interesting, for lack of a better term, I'm just gonna say story being told about how not only are they kind of like succumbing to the fact that they're all ill and they're all going down and Kevin you said with Sarah she's not even going to have a mask when she tells her son to just let go and um, let it take him and just succumb to it herself but on top of them knowing that that's going to happen to him I think that also they just 
have seen too much and it's not worth the fight of survival anymore. And I think that that's um, just realism to me. Uh, I understand what you mean with the magical part of the dreams, but for me, that's such a realistic ending with those two sitting at that table together. Just like we've, we, dad's gone, kid's gone. We've got no future here. What's the point of still going? And also we just murdered a whole family. Um, that's that's enough. There's right. They like, had both yeah. done it too, right? They had both pulled the trigger. They had both done it at that point. You're right. They were just completely just like, well, not what. Yeah, and and there was the scene earlier where Sarah was talking to Paul, and they were kind of talking about surviving and stuff like that. And you know, she made the comment of what you know, what's the point? What like, what are we trying to you know do here? Yeah. Like, you know, and then when obviously that whole tragedy happens, plus her son, it's like. I mean, at that point, like, really, what are we doing? There, there's no point. Yeah, and I think there's so many apocalypse movies where it's like they always have a fire inside them. They always have a reason they to find the cure somehow and to keep yeah. fighting and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, when is when are they going to show somebody who's just like, yeah, I'm throw my tired, hands up man, in the air. You know? Yeah, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like, what? I, my fire has gone out. I've seen too much i've done too much i thought that little way uh speaking of a24 in the rover uh he had had been that spot uh, but the dog was his uh his driving force at that point <laughs> i just made me think about that like he had Dogs literally just been like completely just <laughs> just out hand of, in right? hand like pb and j baby <laughs> but you can't have one without the other See, uh, the dogs are all dying but the cats are secretly plotting the world takeover so the cats <laughs> See, are the yeah. ones that are winning the, uh, the cats are the ones in the woods and that's what they were drawing pictures of yeah. It's a bird box the scenario. If you see the cats in the woods, you get sick. That would be funny if there was just like a little posse of cats that were roaming around. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, if you made it this far, thank you very much. We are about to get to our final grades. But before we do, anybody have anything want to throw in? Final theories? Final uh, soapboxes? Things they want to toss in on this film? Or have we all set our piece? Kelly. With the soundtrack, what is that thing? It's called like, um, sound that like synth synth. I'm gonna murder it. Synthesia oh. or whatever, where you can see color. Wait, where you can S- see color associ- associated yeah. with sound. Like you hear music, you see the colors. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. synesthesia. So that I yeah. feel like the person who wrote this score almost kind of gave me that, if that makes sense. The way that the music Infected goes with you. this movie, like I hear I hear green during the mm. like a lot of these like outdoor scenes. If like my eyes were closed, I think that I could kind of see what was going on as far as the color on screen. And I just um even the like the we keep talking about the family scene where it's all kind of orange and uplifting and warm, and I, I hear that color. So that's something that I, I definitely picked up. There's even like gray areas, there's brown in there, and I'm, I don't know how it's done, but I just feel like I have to give big ups for that. Cause I, I had felt the, the same exact experience when I was watching Ex Machina for the first time, where I felt oh. like that soundtrack, I could hear the colors, I could feel the palette, I could feel the way that it was describing the film so i guess i get that uh from that too so pretty cool comment there all right well we're gonna move right into it uh with our grades 
this film was pretty, I won't say divisive, but it was something that kind of uh, had a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different office at different points in time. And I think I'm going to start since I'm already talking and we'll kind of go from there. I alluded to my big criticism with this film that I felt that the marketing and the trailer was misleading and left me wanting something at the end. Um, I felt uh, a little disappointed. I felt wanting more of a resolution immediately. So my first thought was, uh, so that's never great for a film. But it's an A24 film, so that means there's always something more there. There's always something more to digest or take away. And I appreciate this podcast ever more for giving me that opportunity to kind of see this film for maybe a deeper dive or what it could be uh, on a second watch through. On the surface, it's a beautiful film. The cinematography is gorgeous. The long shots down the hallway, the long shots through the roots of trees as we're looking at our subject through the woods, um, the attention to detail and the family setting when we're looking at the table or um, just some of the interactions of, of the folks, the dream sequences, his attention to making those the most terrifying things and make the horror real in those scenes was incredibly powerful. Um, so from a aesthetic standpoint, from a visual standpoint, from a filmmaking standpoint, this film had no flaws. I thought that was, was a very well done aspect of it. Uh, I thought the writing was great. The character building was great and the acting was great. Uh, I don't necessarily know how I feel kind of about maybe the resolution, maybe some of the, the lack of exploring of some of the reasons that the pandemic got there. It's one thing to have a full-blown discussion where you can ask questions about how they got there and bring up things about dirty water and all of that stuff. But when you're not getting those answers answered for you while watching the film, that's where I have concern. I do want a film to, to answer those things for me to, to in the moment, maybe, or even as we're coming towards a resolution to give me a way to answer why we got to this spot. Maybe that's not for everybody, and maybe that's why this film's a little bit different, but uh, I did feel that it was lacking in that perspective. Um, other than that, I would recommend it to people, mostly because I feel like it's different. It, uh, I don't want them to have any other expectation. I certainly don't want them to listen to this episode before watching it. If you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, shame on you. Um, Get out of here. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but um, other than that, on your completion aspect, go for it. It um, it was okay. I'm just gonna leave it at, as a, as a, sorry, C24. I, I can't say it was my favorite thing, and it really just wasn't over the top. I'm gonna bring down the aggregate score by a whole lot. All right, C plus. There you go, Eric. You get your boo right. gave me a C plus. I said, whoa, C+ not peer boo. pressure. You, I don't know. I heard a boo. I heard a boo. Yeah. Yeah. Hear that, kids out I there? I think you're just being a little works. paranoid, man. It's nighttime. Yeah, C plus. <laughs> it's not getting out of the C for me. I'm sorry. At the end, I was just kind of like, Ugh. I'm sorry. You can't change that initial reaction. If that's the way you finish a film. No matter of talking about, it, it's gonna make it be like, yay. It was still like, Ugh. it was a wet fart at the end, and that was that Dude, sad for me. People have. We all have tastes. 
That's right. Yeah. And that's you a, like that's slow west, so it's fine, yeah. man. I'm glad like, I went first it. though, because you're all gonna be so much better than me and higher. Like and I just feel too, like so. that's why. Also, you know what? Uh, I went last. Fuck you. Talking right, that was homeward bound, asshole. Homeward bound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever. How they're talking. You like? Well, we need that perspective on this podcast. We need the person that likes Disney films that has all the Disney stuffed animals on their bed. You're such a douchebag. I hope you get syphilis and die in a corner. I, no, I'm being serious you. though. We do need a more <laughs> serious, like, a Disney mainstream perspective though of like uh, <laughs> what people think of these films because find if a way not, we can review the Marvel films no, next for you. If not, we're all just these A24 nerds like sniffing our own assholes, pretty much. So yeah. that's what I've been sniffing this whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just all like, right, guys. Put me, to, put me to shame. <laughs> Tell me why this is the best film on sliced bread. Eric, you're uh, first. Stop. Okay, I'll I'll go. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. This isn't the best, you know, a twenty four film I've seen. It's not even the best a twenty four horror film I've seen. But yeah, there's so many good uh, parts about it, like the acting, the cinematography, the score. Um, there's like a color palette to this film. That's I always love when a film like establishes a kind of color palette. And I think uh, Kelly said this when we watched a most violent year that this is like true cinema. You see the cinematography and you feel like, okay, this is like an art piece. This is true cinema. And you like just everything is intentional here. All those things that I love about like some of my favorite, favorite A24 films are in here. But then I do agree this film, like at the end, it kind of, it's just like, ah, fuck, everybody dies. Like, (laughs) like I I don't get a whole lot of closure. Which, like, I I like films that do, like, end with a question mark. Like, uh, I like that I had to, like, look into all these theories. But then I do wish that there was just, like, one little hint in one direction that, like, really made people, or made me be like, yes, of course, that's what's it, you know? Which, you know, now I'm just resorting to these YouTube videos of uh, people going frame by frame at that one shot in the woods, which maybe that was just a... (laughs) A gap in uh, Trey Edward Schultz's like perfectionist uh, cinematography. I don't know, but I still really, really like this film, and I like how realistic it is, and uh, I like how it explored what a uh, pan like a very, very deadly pandemic would do to people, and how we all kind of resort to our tribalistic and Darwinistic uh, natures when these kind of things happen to us. So. Overall, I'm going to give it an A-24. Uh, that's like the same grade I gave Enemy, slightly below The Witch. Um, I, th- I think that's, you know, it's a very fair place to land for me. Cole, you're next. All right. Um, so I, uh, I I, I kind of have almost like a love-hate relationship with this film. Um, there's a lot of things I like about it. Obviously, I've spoken pretty highly of it. I will say there are some things that I didn't like. I didn't like the feeling of almost being tricked, you know, the first time I watched it. Uh, but also looking back at it, I think it adds that element of, of um, unsettlingness, like, um, you know, that it, uh, it adds to it. So I think that was um, maybe very smart. Uh, it's a film that you need to prepare yourself for ahead of time, knowing that this isn't like an action popcorn, you know, zombie shooting up, shoot them up movie. This is like, if you want to see like a very well shot like cinema like heavy character focused film about what i think is probably a very realistic portrayal of the apocalypse then this this is 
the best movie for that. I mean, the fact that this film only has 10 like credited actors and one of them being a dog throughout the whole entire like two hour film or whatever. And, and we never even talked about it being, you know, it felt like there was, you know, so limited in terms of characters, but you know, they did such a good job with them and that feeling of isolation and stuff like that, that they added to it. You know, they don't have any of those big over, you know, helicopter sweeping shots of people running through the city as it's on fire and everything's blowing up. It's all just very slow and mundane and quiet until it's not. And when, when those parts that aren't are very quick and they resolve themselves very quickly because that's how real life is. I mean, in those situations, you, you don't get to just sit there and contemplate for half an hour and whether or not you're going to kill this whole family that knows where you are, could be infected, could bring back people. And, you know, one of the things that kind of stuck with me is, uh, you know, when they're talking about what are we going to do about this family that may be infected? Or can we, you know, we, we, we could let them go, but, you know, they know where we live and they know we have clean water. And when desperate people get desperate, that's when, you know, it gets ugly, right? Like people do some pretty terrible things when pushed in a corner. So um, I thought that was very well done. Um, all in all, I like this movie quite a bit. I still want to know who unlocked the door. Still some things that I'm a little confused about. But overall, I think uh, if you're a fan of A24, if you're a fan of apocalyptic movies, I don't know, you should watch this movie. Oh, well, Miss Opportunity, the dog's name in real life is Mikey, and they named him Stanley in the film. Should have just left it Mikey. I thought Mikey is a great dog's yeah, name. Right, if you're going to leave it as a human name, you might it. as well just leave it what it's actually named. Yeah, yeah you're right. but uh, because of that, dock it. So it'll be a B plus or B. I'm sorry. It was going to be a B plus, but now that the dog's <laughs> name is Stanley, it's just a B. That yeah. was a sympathy B24. for me. Yeah. All right. Come on, Mikey. Show me the show. Me, we should have shown better, me some love. Bud and Stanley living together in the woods. Apparently, yes, Trevor Schultz is a big Stanley Bud Kubrick fan, so it could just be he was naming him after Stanley I Kubrick. I think that's it. He talked about The Shining being a big influence yeah. in the way he filmed the framing of this house. So, Mikey, come on, the dog. He's a working dog here. You got to give let yeah, Mikey cook. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Kelly, bring us home. All right, B- B24. Okay, B- B24. okay. Um, I hope that sound makes it through. Okay, some of the my things that uh, movies need to do. Make me think. Accomplished. I wrote down because I take notes while we're while we're reviewing this and like sometimes right before, but never during the movie. I try to just keep it all on the head and then write it down afterwards. Um one of the first things I wrote down is this movie will never leave my mind. The first time I watched it, it planted of something into my brain and it's been there ever since. And that's true on the second watch. I will be returning to this. I will be recommending it. There's so many themes that I already discussed at the end, so I shan't repeat myself, and I shan't even remember what I said back then, but it still applies. Um, Make me feel every single character. I feel like if I think about them too much, I could cry because of what they have to go through, what I think they might have been like before, and those like little glimpses of humanity that we see in them and like what they are like at their best and how they are at their worst. We see all of that. The actors who portray all these characters, too, like we said, I wouldn't change anything. No notes to any of them. They did perfectly. Feed my eyes and feed my ears. Both were well-fed. We already touched on all of this. Kevin, you said that this movie was known for its atmospheric tension. For me personally, 
I don't know if there's any two words. That That's my cellar door right there. Like, put those two words right next to each other, and it's the most beautiful thing in the whole English language. So the fact that this is what this movie is, is like, say less. Like, that's exactly what I need, and it's exactly what's accomplished. So uh, on and on and on. I love family dynamics in this kind of scenario, and I think that they just knocked it out of the park with that without it ever being, like... It, it's a tightrope that you kind of walk uh, for me and for me when I'm watching a movie too. Like families can be too sickly sweet and families can be way too brutal to each other. And both should be depicted in film. But for me, this kind of dynamic that's shown in this kind of scenario was like just perfect. Uh, the other thing that I'll say about the open-ended side of this movie that I think is bothering um, a lot of viewers for me specifically, this is the exact kind of open-ended that I like. Enough that I can kind of daydream and theorize about all of the kind of things that led up to what we get to see. And it doesn't really change the impact of the movie or what it's trying to say to me. I still get, I think that what the director wants to tell us is still said regardless of how it happened and regardless of how I want to kind of theorize about it or even who killed the dog. It doesn't really change the actions that are made afterwards um, and the way that the in, like the interactions happen, all this kind of stuff, it all plays together. I'll say my favorite cake flavor is a red velvet cake. And I could serve you guys all the best red velvet cake, but if that's not your favorite flavor, you're not going to say it's the best cake you've ever had. You'd still prefer chocolate or vanilla, maybe lemon. Uh, for me, this is my perfect cake flavor, and it was perfectly baked. This movie for me, A plus 24. Wow. Wow. All right. Viewers, I apologize for my opinions. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, no, no. I don't, I don't actually listen. Beer. I don't mean that. Just um, go cuddle I'm... your Lilo and Stitch stuffed animal. Oh, Eric, Stop it. Hey. Step outside. Lilo and Stitch you and is I are a gonna good fight. movie. We're going we're gonna to throw Although we're gonna the Disney just... Plus version really censored no. a lot of the anime butts, and I don't really agree with that, <laughs> but it's okay. Thank you for listening this far, viewers, listeners. I don't know I say viewers all the time, even though you're probably listening to a podcast. Doesn't really matter. Give us five stars. They have, this, they have the sound vision thing. That's right. Um, vision. So they, they can see our, us. They understand. And tell me why all of our opinions are the right opinion. Thank you for being with us on our 51st movie. And have a good one. Good night. Bye. Adios. Wash up.